Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Well, we are continuing in this series called Little by Little, Finding Your Identity in Christ. And really what we've been learning in this series is in, in chapter 5 is that Paul gives us a series of commands, things that we're to do and things that we're not to do. And so we've been talking about how these aren't things that we need to go home and pray about and think about, but these are commands that we are to act out, to do, and to be obedient to these commands that we're given here in God's Word. But now in verse 21, Paul kind of transitions out of his talk about commands, and he starts talking about relationships. And really, that's where we're going to be going over the next several weeks. We're going to be talking about different relationships. And this week, we are starting with the husband-wife relationship. In fact, the title of today's message is called Redefining Marriage. And it's not us redefining it to fit in 2021 or us coming up with our ideas for what it should look like and and us figuring out what it's supposed to be. No, we're supposed to get back into God's word and see what God's word has to say about marriage. Because the reality is there's a lot of people in here and there's a lot of us with different backgrounds and different ideas and different thoughts about marriage. A lot of us, we've probably heard this text uh, taught at a wedding or maybe uh, even in church before. And so we've come in here with our preconceived notions, our ideas of what we think marriage is supposed to be. And from time to time, I think it's healthy for us to have a coach come in and say, hey, you need to be reminded of some things. And so that's what Paul is doing here. He is reminding us and maybe even redefining marriage for us and and giving us a new and fresh perspective of what God wants it to look like. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And, And honestly, I love the timing of all of this. I couldn't have timed it any better because last night I was able to officiate a wedding and it was a really awesome time. I love any time I get to do weddings. Uh, It was really cool because it was out in the country and all the trees were changing colors. And so you know that their pictures are going to look wonderful and, and all of that. And it's always so exciting when I can do this because I get to see two people who were once single now be joined together and they kind of start this new chapter in their life. And the reason why I love it so much is because I love looking at the guy and his reaction to everything. Normally, he starts crying. I make sure that his knees aren't locking up so he doesn't pass out, you know. I've always told the guy, if you do pass out, I'm just letting you go because it will be funny and somebody's probably recording and you might make some money later. So that never hurt anything. Thankfully, it's never happened to me. I don't know that I want it to happen to me, but I'm watching the guy and I love watching him because I love watching his reaction and seeing the first time that he sees his bride. And I love watching her as she walks down and and seeing her future soon-to-be husband and and the interaction that they have. And, And sometimes when they're holding hands, they're shaking a little bit, you know, they're really nervous. But I love it because it reminds me of my wedding day. 14 years ago when I married my bride, Jen, And in fact, I brought a picture here today to show you what we look like. We're 18 years old there. Um, (laughs) But I tell her I age like a fine wine. I only got a little bit better. But uh, (laughs) no, that's Jen. That's what she is. So, but it's it's awesome because I look back on that day and I'm chewing gum in that picture, by the way, because I was so nervous about it. I was so nervous to, to be getting married. And so I'm chewing that gum. And so that's one thing I also tell couples, don't be chewing gum. Your wife will be mad at you if you have gum because they're in pictures. I have gum in my mouth and you can see it. So, but I love it because it reminds me of that. And it reminds me of when I first met Jen. I remember I was moving from southern New Mexico to northern New Mexico, and um, it was my eighth grade year. 
And I was checking out different schools, visiting them. And I remember I walked into this one uh, math room. The principal opens up the door and it was as if the Lord was in that place. And he shone a light onto Jen and the angels started singing a song. And I remember looking at her. And if I'm looking at the room, it was right on the left-hand side of the room. And she was wearing this yellow flower dress. And I remember thinking, that's who I'm going to marry. It was as if the Lord spoke to me in that moment. And so I told my parents begrudgingly, ah, I think I have to go to this school now. You know, I think that's the school I need to attend. And so for the next four or five years, I pursued Jen. Now, she didn't want anything to do with me, but guess what? I know how to wear somebody down a little bit. And so by our senior year, I wore her down enough to where we started dating. And then in college, we got engaged and we waited until she graduated. And the week after she graduated, uh, we got married. So the month of May was a very busy month for her. She graduated and got married all within a matter of two weeks. But it was awesome. And, and the funny thing is we can see pictures of wedding days. We can go to weddings. We can hear stories. We can even be reminded of our own story. And we could easily want to caption it, hashtag relationship goals, right? We might think, you know what, that's a goal. And, and in fact, this week I looked on Instagram and I saw there's over 20 million Instagram posts with that hashtag relationship goals. People who want to, to have those goals. And they all come with pictures of people smiling and laughing at one another. You know, you might see how it started and how it's going now pictures, or you might see pictures of them laughing, and and you're just like, oh, that's what I want. And you see inspirational memes about marriage, and you go, oh, that's what I need. I got to share this with my spouse. But then you also see the bitter people, the angry people, the people who say, cats fill up my loneliness. Like that's, and that is a true statement. That's not even me trying to be funny. That's actually what people have posted about. Like my cats fill up my loneliness. Like, and that's what it is. We see those hashtags. We see those things. We can be reminded of our wedding day. We can hear stories of it. We could go to a wedding and we can say, I want that. Or I want some version of that. But the reality is the only way to get from one happy snapshot to the next is answering one important question. And it's not a question about who gets what side of the bed, how to budget, how to save for retirement, where are you going to live for the rest of your life? The most important question you will ever answer is what authority is going to shape your view of the marriage relationship? What authority is going to shape how you view marriage? And for the Christian, there's only one right answer. That is the word of God. The word of God is the authority on how you are to view your marriage relationship. Thankfully, 14 years ago, Jen and I got this question right. And honestly, if we didn't answer this question correctly, I don't think we would be husband and wife today. Because listen, today, if friends and family are your authority into your marriage relationship, while they could be a good resource, can have some good advice, they should not be your authority in your marriage relationship. The reason why is if they're the authority, then at the sign of of a fight or something goes wrong, then your friend's just going to be like, well, you should just leave. That's no big deal. Just get out of there while you can. If Hollywood, movies, TV shows are your authority when it comes to your marriage, you're going to have an unrealistic expectation of marriage. The Bible must be the authority in your life when it comes to your marriage relationship. And so in a world that seems to be confused on what marriage is and what it should look like, we're going to ask God, whose idea it was in the first place, what marriage should look like and be like. 
And so today, you might have come in here today with your expectations or your thoughts about this passage, or maybe you've heard this passage taught before, and so you've got some ideas and some thoughts on it. We need to put all of that aside and have God redefine marriage for us by seeing what he has to say about it in Ephesians chapter 5. So we're going to start in verse 21. It says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband." These verses here in scripture speak to the heart of marriage. And so I see three things that are going to help us redefine marriage. And the first one is this. Marriage is a relationship designed by God. Marriage is designed by God. God created marriage. It was his invention. It was his institution. It was his idea. It was never our idea. And where do we get this? We could see that Paul is quoting in Genesis chapter 2. That's what he's doing. When he says in verse 31, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul is quoting what God himself had to say about marriage when he invented it. But I want us to look a little bit deeper and see what else God has to say by taking us to Genesis chapter 2. But I want us to look at verse 18. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good. And I love this because God was the one who came to the conclusion of this. Adam didn't have any clue that anything wasn't good. God came to this conclusion. He said, it is not good for the man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. This whole, this whole thing started with a problem, and it was aloneness, and it was something that God noticed. And because God noticed the problem, he also had a plan. And his plan was to make a helper suitable for him. Now, when we hear the word helper being used to describe women. At first, we want to cringe. We might even want to skip over this passage a little bit, even dismiss it. Because at first glance, it seems that we're elevating men and devaluing women. I mean, when we hear the word helper, we think of a maid or an assistant. We might even think of Cinderella herself. We might be a little embarrassed to be a Christian right now because of how this sounds. But let me tell you, this word helper is nothing to be embarrassed about. Helper is the Hebrew word azer, and azer appears 21 different times in the Bible. It means to rescue, to save, or to be strong. It's a word that is used to describe military aid in battle. And in the Old Testament, it's most often used to describe God as an azer to human beings. 
So let's not look at this word helper as some second-class citizen word. This is a word that God calls himself, and he also calls women this too. Often in our culture, uh, women are referred to as the weaker sex, but that's not how God sees them. God sees women as warriors in battle, women who are strong fortresses for their, women, for their men. Ladies, you are meant to be on the front lines. You are meant to do battle for Christ. You are a strength and you are a force to be reckoned with. So you need to battle for your kids, battle for your husbands, battle for the kingdom of God. It's time to do battle for the hearts of your husbands. It's time to do battle for your kids to make sure they love and serve Jesus. It's time for you to do battle. God said it is not good for man to be alone. So I will make a helper to suit him that will compliment him that it is not best for him to be alone. So I'm going to make someone who's going to come in and be an Azer, someone to rescue him, save him from the problem in human race. And that is aloneness. And all the married people said, there you go. That's good. I'm getting fired up with that because that's the truth. I love that. Ladies, you know this better than all of, than your man. You're, you know your man needs as much help as he can get, right? You know, he's a little bit of a project. Men, we know that we would be lost without our ladies as well. And Adam and Eve, as husband and wife, were demonstrating the sanctity of what God created. Paul is quoting the very first words in the entire Bible about marriage. Marriage is about a man and a woman being united together, becoming one flesh. Marriage, by the way, is God's idea, which makes it a good idea. God has never had a bad idea. Now, that doesn't mean we haven't taken God's ideas and tried to jack them all up. But God has never had a bad idea. And because marriage is God's idea, that makes it a good idea. And he knows how it's best to be worked and designed and to be used. So we need to understand that it's God's idea. Here's the second thing. Marriage is a relationship of submission. I said the S word in church. (laughs) Submission. In fact, I was just told our live stream last service was having a little bit of an issue, and I kept uh, skipping, I guess, saying, wives submit, wives submit, wives submit. So hopefully that didn't happen this time. But verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, before Paul even talks about wives submitting to their husbands or husbands loving their wives, husbands and wives are supposed to submit to one another out of fear of God. But we don't like the word submit in 2021, do we? That doesn't fit our selfish ways where we're all about, well, how will my needs be met or how are you gonna fulfill me? Or in a culture where it's all about me, me, me and my, my, my and all the things that I could do, God's like, no, you need to forget about that. You submit to one another out of fear, out of respect, out of submission of me. Over the next few verses, Paul, like I said, is gonna be talking about relationships, And Paul begins this whole relationship talk with husbands and wives. But really, it doesn't just start there. Even if you look back in in chapter 4, that's what Paul's been talking about. That as we submit to one another, as the church is unified, that's when the world is going to see the church and know that Jesus is alive. And is going to go, I want some of that. And so submission is not just for husbands and wives, kids and parents, and all of the other relationships that we're going to talk about. It's for every single believer in this room, watching online, for everyone who calls themselves a Christian. Submission is something that we're all called to do. But Paul starts this whole talk off by saying that you're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
The reason why we're to submit to one another is because of the respect that we have for Jesus. See, without his authority, we're all going to fall back into our selfish ways. So this is something that we are all called to do. But what does it mean to submit? Submit means to voluntarily place yourself under or after someone else. In a military sense, it means to rank beneath or to rank under. Or we could say it this way, in every way that I relate to you, I consider you more important than me. And one of the applications that Paul gives us to practice this submission is through the husband-wife relationship. He's going to teach us what it looks like for wives to, in Christ-like submission uh, to submit towards their husbands and what it looks like for husbands in Christ-like submission towards their wives. We all, in Christ-like submission, are to relate to one another as more important than myself. And in the next few verses, we're going to see a picture of the husband and wife having equal value but different roles in the marriage. And so Paul starts off uh, with wives in verse 22. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And the reason why you're to do this, he says in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. Wives, here's the application for you. You are to demonstrate Christ-like submission by following the spiritual leadership of your husband. Now think about this for just a second. Think of it as kind of like a slow dance. One person leads, one person follows. One person uh, initiates, one person responds. Both are necessary for the dance to work. And when both are fulfilling their roles and doing what they're to do, the dance is something beautiful to watch. It's working, it's flowing right. You're not stepping on anybody's feet. So what does all of this mean, though? What does it mean when the Bible says that the husband is the head of the home and the wife is supposed to submit? What does all of this mean? It means that the husband is to exemplify the lifestyle of Jesus to you, his bride. He has given you the responsibility to take the initiative of the family, to make sure that the family is pursuing the will of God as much as possible. If you're a wife here today, you need to know this, that God has given your husband the responsibility for spiritually leading you and your family. And in Christ-like submission, you should follow him as he leads. So the wife's role in this marriage relationship is not to ignore or disregard the the husband's lead, just like the church shouldn't ignore or disregard Jesus' lead. Now, before we jump to the wrong conclusions... You get ready to hit send on that email or you throw something at me. Let me tell you three things that submission is not. Submission is not inferiority. Think about this. In the Trinity, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All are God, all are equal, but there is a certain hierarchy in their unity. Jesus said of himself that he was equal with God. But then he also said he was going to submit himself to the Father when he went to die on the cross for the sins of the world. So if there could be equality and submission in the Trinity, there can be equality and submission in the home. Listen, submission does not mean inferiority. The second thing, submission does not mean you just obey. The word submit was not to be interpreted as obey. Because in the very next chapter, Paul's talking about children submitting to their parents. And here's the reality. If he meant for them to be the same word, he would have used the same Greek word. But he doesn't use the same Greek word. He uses a different Greek word. Here's the point. Paul didn't see submission and obedience as synonyms. 
the spiritual responsibility that has been given to husbands is to lead in spiritual things. So this has nothing to do with an obedience issue. Submission does not mean that the husband has the final say in everything. It doesn't mean that he's a dictator or that it's his way or the highway and that his way is always right. And listen, if there is a husband who is using Ephesians chapter five as his proof text to do that, he is not an Ephesians chapter five husband. He's taking all of that out of context. Husbands, you do not rule over your wife. In case you have forgotten, there's only one person who can rule over the family, and that is God himself. The leadership God has called husbands into in this context is of service and of love, pointing the family always to the one true leader of the home. Listen, the husband needs to be leading from a strong relationship with Jesus and he needs to be doing it with integrity. Always searching in God's word for the plans and the desires that he has for the family. Here's the third thing submission is not. It is not absolute. This verse isn't a verse that says all women are to be submissive to all men. It doesn't even say that all women are to follow the leadership of all men. This is a unique relationship between the husband and the wife where God has given the husband the responsibility and the accountability for the spiritual direction of the family. Even in this unique relationship between husband and wife, it's not ultimate and it's not absolute. The wife's ultimate submission is to God himself. In every relationship that we have, you need to remember there is always a higher submission and that is to God. Submission is living out Christ-like humility, honor, and respect towards your husband. And you are to do this as if you were doing it to the Lord. Now, I know that a lot of us, we have different backgrounds. Some of us here today, we, there's, you, your wives are here without your husbands. And you're like, my husband is not an Ephesians chapter 5 husband. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to handle this? There's a lot that we could go into there's a lot we could say about it, but I'll just try to quickly say this. In 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter talks about that wives, you are to submit to your husband so that you can win them over to the Lord. Now, listen, isn't that the goal for all of us? Aren't we trying to win as many people as we can over to the Lord? And so uh, we could go into that you shouldn't even be married to somebody who's not following Jesus in the first place and all these other things. And again, there's a whole myriad of reasons why we could get into this. Here's the bottom line, though. You are to submit to your husband. That doesn't mean in an abusive relationship where he's verbally or, or physically abusive to you. That is not what this is saying either. This isn't saying that uh, you are to just submit and, and treat him like he is God because, again, there's rules. You submit to a higher authority, and that is to God himself. Wives, you are to submit to your husband so that in your love and in your serving of him, he can see Jesus through your life. That's what you're called to do. And listen, again, I just want to say this. I know that we're talking about marriages and there's a lot of things going on in a lot of your lives. And you all have different stories and different backgrounds. And I'm not going to be able to cover every little thing that we're, that's going on in this room today. But here's what I do want to say. There is a church here. We are a church family, and we would love to walk alongside of you, help you, and talk with you, and counsel you in any way. So if you have anything you need to talk about or you want to work through, then call the church. Reach out to us. We want to help you, resource you, and walk alongside of you. So submission is really just about respect. 
In fact, that's how Paul closes this whole section of verses with. He says, wives, respect your husbands. Now, why does Paul use this term respect? Well, it could be because typically women crave love and men desire respect. And so I think what's happening here is Paul is commanding us what is not natural for us to do. Women, it's natural for you to love. It's not natural for us men, right? Men, it's easy for us to respect one another. Hey, what do you do for a living? Yeah, I do this, yeah. But we don't love very easy. Paul is commanding us what is not natural for us to do. The wife should see the responsibility that her husband has. Respect him for it, but not only respect him for it, love him and pray for him as well. See, both husbands and wives have, need to stand in awe of their assignments because you have unique roles. And one day, you are going to have to give an account for your relationship. And here's the final point. Marriage is a relationship of love. Look at verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here's the application for you, husbands. You are to demonstrate Christ-like submission by lovingly dying to yourself to meet every need of your wife. Now, some of us, we might hear this stuff and we think, well, the husband really gets off easy here because the word for wife is submission and the word for husband is the word love. But you have to understand this. Submission is just another aspect of love and love is just another aspect of submission. That's what Paul is basically boiling all this down to. And really, Paul is challenging the power structures of his day. We need to know that in first century Ephesus, there was a very hyper-patriarchal society where men had plenty of rights and women had either no rights or just a little bit of rights. Sometimes animals were treated better than women were in this day when Paul was writing this letter. And so the average marriage back then where women were seen as property and only good for having children. So while we could say that women aren't always treated well here in America, it was nothing to what was how women were being treated in Paul's culture. And so I tell you all this so you understand how this passage would have read in Paul's day to Paul's audience. What's funny is that this whole uh, passage here would have read very controversial, just like it uh, reads very controversial for us today. In Ephesus, When Paul started off saying, husbands or wives, submit to your husbands, that's when all the men would stand up and applaud and say, amen, brother, like that's what they're supposed to do. They would have nodded in agreement. But then when Paul would have went on to say, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church, that's when you would have seen some people start to squirm a little bit. That's when you would have seen people start to walk out. That's when you would have seen people starting to throw things at Paul. Husbands giving themselves up for their wives, that's ridiculous. That's what they would have thought. And so when Paul writes this, what he's doing is he's breaking down the power structures of this day. But let's be honest, just as it was controversial then, it's controversial now, but for the wrong reasons though. We get so caught up with all the noise of the word submit in this passage, we brush right over the command of the husband's. And that the husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That word give himself up for her is from the Greek paradidome. And it means to hand over or to betray or abandon. 
It's the same word for when Judas betrayed, handed over Jesus to the people who would crucify him. So husbands, the same way that Judas handed over Jesus, abandoned him, betrayed him, that's what you're to do with your own lives for the good of your wife. See, when it comes to your dreams, your aspirations, your life goals, when you get married, it all goes on the chopping block. They all have to be run through the test of whether or not they're actually for the good of your wife, to encourage her. Are they for her? Will they help her love Jesus more? We could say it this way, that all your wants take a backseat to her needs. Now, I want to be very clear here. When I say needs, I mean things like a relationship with Jesus, her emotional needs, community, making sure she's in her Bible. You could even get down to the very practical things, food, clothing, shelter. Now, I don't mean everything she says she needs comes before your needs. Like if she says she needs a massage, you might not need to you know, provide for that need, but then you might need to evaluate what kind of husband you are and go, I get it, you do need a massage. I know what kind of guy I am, right? But listen, this is what it means. It doesn't mean all of her greeds come before your needs. It means what she truly does need come before your needs. Men, marriage is a call to die. Dying to yourself involves sacrificing your schedule and even your good ambitions. It means giving yourself away for the good of your bride. It involves crucifying the flesh and deciding to be faithful to your wife, not giving into the temptations of lust, anger, and pride. Now, as we've talked all about this, I think without bias, who has the more difficult command to obey here in Ephesians chapter 5? Placing yourself after your husband or betraying, abandoning yourself for the sake of your wife? See, sometimes we get so hung up on the word submit in this passage that we miss the most difficult, life-altering instructions that are actually given to the husband. So I hope you can see the responsibility that God has given each of you. Both men and women are made in the image of God and have unique roles to play in this marriage relationship. I mean, going all the way back to Genesis, we see God being the first surgeon, creating the first woman, God being the first father, presenting the woman to the man. And we see God being the first pastor, ordaining the very first message or the very first wedding in all of human history. And Adam said it best when he wrote the very first love song, the very first poem in all of human history, when he said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was made out of man. It doesn't sound all that romantic. We don't get all warm and fuzzy and go, hey, Kelly, can we play that at a, at, a, at a couple's night? Like, that's so romantic. It stirs all these emotions. We don't do that. But listen, you got to understand, his song was a song of joyfulness, of thanksgiving, because it was the response that someone has come to him whose gifts will bring vital and necessary completeness to his life. Listen, just as Eve brought completeness to Adam, Jen, my wife, has brought completeness to me. And husbands, your wife has brought completeness to you. The family structure that God designed is, not, is, is about functionality and not about who's better than someone else. Men and women both have different but distinct roles to play in the family. And your role is meant to complement one another, not compete against one another. If you find yourself today competing, you need to get marriage redefined in your mind. 
You're meant to complement one another. And if you reject these God-given differences, this can lead to an unbalanced view and an unhealthy view of marriage. In fact, I want to close with verse 32. It says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. A lot of people want to know what's the secret to a happy marriage. There's no shortage of answers. We could come up with answers right now about how to live happily ever after. In fact, last night when I was at the wedding, I met the bride's um, grandparents, and they both had been married for over 50 years. I went, whoa, what's your advice? How do you have a happy marriage? Knowing I was going to teach on this, I need some material. And they said, they, they told me it's good communication. One guy was like, can you compromise? Can she compromise? It's all about compromise. Some people would say it's about romance. The one guy essentially said, if you have a happy wife, you will have a happy life, right? We've heard some form of that. There's no shortage of guesses to what it is to have uh, the secret to a happy marriage. But Paul gives us the answer here. Paul says, if you want to know the secret to a happy marriage, it is the gospel. The secret to understanding marriage is understanding how Jesus relates to us, his people. It's realizing that marriage is actually more about Jesus than being married. Marriage is a billboard, a living, breathing symbol that points the world to the relationship that we have with Jesus. This is why the church is under attack in America today, because we're just a reflection. We're a mirror reflecting Jesus. See, we're meant to point to a man, Jesus, who gave himself up for his bride, the church, not a building, us, the people. And Paul says, until you understand that relationship, the ideas here in Ephesians chapter five are not gonna make any sense to you at all. Why would I give myself up for my wife when she doesn't respond well to it? Why would I place myself under the leadership of my husband when he doesn't lead so well? And those are valid questions. But once you understand that marriage is actually about the gospel, the answers start to make a whole lot more sense. Why give yourself up for your wife when she doesn't respond well to it? Because Jesus gave himself up for us, knowing we often would respond poorly to it as well. Why place yourself under the leadership of the husband when he leads imperfectly? Because you've been placed in, and entrusted to the leadership of Jesus, who is perfect even when your husband isn't. Husbands and wives in the room today, are you gonna do this perfectly every single time? No. You're gonna fail. But when you do fail, remember the gospel. Remember that Jesus is perfect on your behalf. Remember the grace that God has given you and let those things be the things that fuel how quickly you apologize to one another. Let that be the fuel for how you go about fighting for your marriage to become this living, breathing billboard for the gospel. See, we're told in the Bible that Jesus gave himself up for his bride, for us, the church, on the cross. And that one day he is coming back for us. I mean, in Revelation, it tells us that all of human history is coming to a point, And that is the return of Jesus. He is coming back for the wedding. But in the meantime, this is the relationship that husbands and wives are called to imitate. This is what marriage is all about. This is the model that we're working from. And for everybody who's single now, I think there's definitely some application for you in all of this. 
hope you didn't tune out or anything like that, because there's application in here for you as well. And I don't want you to miss this, because marriage is not ultimate. Marriage is not the peak of human existence. And the reality is, I know that a lot of you are getting bombarded with, you got to get married, you got to get married. When are you getting married? How are you going to get married? When is that going to happen? And it's easy to not buy into that it's the ultimate thing. But listen, what is ultimate is a life with Jesus. The Bible tells us that one day marriages will be no more. They will not exist. They are not everlasting. But what is everlasting is a life with Jesus. In the new heaven, in the new earth, there will be one marriage, and that is Jesus and us, his people. So we've got some homework today for all the married people and the single people today. For the husbands, I want you to ask your wife some questions this week. You need to find a good time to do this. Maybe go on a date. Maybe go on a walk. Maybe put the kids to bed early and, and set some time aside to ask your wife these questions. And they'll be up on the screen and you can take a picture of them. You can write them down, whatever works best for you. But you need to ask these questions. Where am I not contributing well to your relationship with Jesus? Where am I refusing to abandon my life for your good? Where are your needs having to take a backseat to my wants? How could I let you in more than I do now? And in what ways am I doing well? You need to ask that last question. It's probably the most important question. Because listen, husbands, you're going to fail. You're not going to get it right every single time, but you need to know that you are hitting the mark. You need to know that you're doing some things right. So you need, to, you need to ask that last question. And wives, these are the questions you can ask your husband this week as well. Where am I not placing myself under or after you? Where am I fighting against your good desire to love and to serve me like Jesus? What part of my life am I refusing to let you speak into? How could I let you in more than I do now? And wives, you need to answer this question as well. In what ways am I doing well? Because again, you're going to fail too, wives. But you need to know you're at least hitting the target as well. Now for everybody who's single here today, if you're a single guy, here's what I want you to do. I want you in your awakened group or the people you serve with, I need you to find somebody and you need to say, tell me where you failed. Maybe you ask him one of those questions and you say, where did you fail in this area or how can I be better in this area? Ladies, find some uh, lady in your awakened group or somebody you serve with and say, I, need to, I, I wanna be better off than you were. I wanna be further ahead. Where did you fail? Where were some mistakes? What are the things that you've learned? But you get a bonus thing, single people. You're like, great, extra homework? Yeah, you do get extra homework, all right? We got time to repair marriages. You got extra time, I guess, right? But the second question I want you to ask, or the second thing I want you to do is I want you to pray. I need you to pray for the marriages in this church. But not, not only do I need you to pray for the marriages in this church, I need you to pray for your view of marriage. If marriage is meant to be a powerful pointer to the gospel, we need strong marriages in our church. And listen, we're not gonna have strong marriages in this church unless we are praying for them, amen? Amen. 
Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.